Hey, and welcome to the Pint of Science Ireland podcast. I'm Daniel Gifney, and today we're bringing you extended cuts from the Science Festival taking place in pubs across Ireland as part of an international pint of science. So grab a pint, it's starting. So we're here with Nicole Todd, a PhD researcher from UCC. Her PhD is funded by the Irish Research Council and it specialises in marine biology. So let's start with your background. Could you provide a general overview of your current work and how you got there? Yeah, so I'm currently undertaking the PhD at University College Cork. It focuses on the acoustic monitoring of harbour porpoise in Irish waters. For a bit about my background, I graduated from my undergrad in marine biology from Queen's University Belfast 2017. I kind of got into marine mammals because I did work placement there and ended up in a seal sanctuary for six months and then worked with an oceanographic research team doing water kind of management sampling and marine mammal surveys. So then because of that, I ended up doing a research project on tidal patterns and breeding gray seals. So I did my master's in marine biology at UCC. My master's research looked at harbour porpoise and dolphins in a bay up in County Mayo, Broadhaven Bay, and it used acoustics to assess the effect of ongoing construction activity and the occurrence of those species in the area. Following this research, I decided to submit a PhD proposal to continue this research. So I was excited to continue down that road. Could you introduce the mammal of the hour, the harbour porpoise? Yeah, so harbour porpoise are part of a group of animals called cetaceans, which includes your your whales, your dolphins, and then the porpoise. The porpoise, they're kind of like the dolphin's little cousin. So they're smaller, no more than about a metre and a half. They have a small, like, triangular fin and are less showy than a dolphin. Like, if you've ever been out at sea and you've seen dolphins, like, leaping out of the water and by riding boats, porpoises wouldn't do that. If they see a boat, they tend to go the opposite direction. You might only get, like, a fleeting glance of them, like, when they're surfacing the water. They also tend to be in smaller groups or pods of like two, three animals. They, they're they quite a coastal species. You would normally see them kind of around a headland or in a bay. So they are there. You just have to be concentrating because they're small and inconspicuous. But they're actually the most common cetacean we have in our waters, despite them wanting to run away from us. But they're kind of short and stout, and, which is actually quite funny because their nickname is called the puffing pig because they're actually, if they swim around, you get a small burst of air, a small blow, which kind of sounds just like a little snort. Also, I found out recently on a on another podcast that another reason why they're called the puffing pig is because in medieval times, when they couldn't eat meat, they decided, oh, we'll just eat these big fish from the sea, which were still mammals and meat. I was like, but it tastes kind of like pork, so we'll call them the puffing pig. That's more morose and that's cute. (laughs) Could you talk a bit about how we use acoustic monitoring to understand their feeding habits? Yeah, well, the good thing is with acoustics, it doesn't matter if they're not very showy or they're hard to spot. That's where acoustics comes in really well because cetaceans, including the harbour porpoise, they're really highly adapted to communicate and navigate their environment using sound so they create these high-pitched clicks in a process called echolocation where they make a click and it bounces off an object and then that signal comes back 
to them. Because of this echolocation, they're very good subjects to monitor using acoustics, using underwater microphones or, as they're more commonly known, hydrophones. So they pick up these reportless clicks and they allow us to investigate whether they're their distribution or some behaviours we can pick up based on how many clicks in a certain amount of time. When they're looking for food, this is a distinct behaviour and can be picked up quite well acoustically. And it's quite good because it can give us a better insight in how the animals are using the area. So if they're using the area to feed, they're kind of meeting more energetic needs rather than just passing through an area you know, on their way to somewhere else. Harbour Port was also like they hunt in a similar way to bats with the echolocation. Their different hunting strategies can be highlighted based on these click rates and how they produce the clicks. So if they're kind of steady paced, they're probably traveling or searching for prey. But these like increase and as the rapid they get, it kind of turns into a fast buzz almost, which is like 10 milliseconds, which one millisecond is a thousand of a second. That's an insane amount of clicks. These buzzes we can kind of track and identify and get an idea of how often they're foraging. Out of interest, do porpoises have similar group sizes to dolphins? Very much smaller. You'd only, like, if you get a group of five porpoises, you'd be like, oh, that's a lot of porpoises, compared to if you had a group of dolphins, you'd be like, it could be two, three hundred, and you'd be like, that's a lot of dolphins. But that would just wouldn't happen for porpoises. They tend to stay in smaller groups, two or three individuals, and maybe a calf if it's the right time of year. Yeah, from from your description, it sounds like they're cute, small, introverted dolphins. Pretty much, yeah. (laughs) So I was just thinking, have you ever gone out on one of the boats and heard one of these recordings coming up and then the clicking starts and then the boat chases it? Like that sounds really exciting. It makes me think of a a barometer and you pursue the, the animals based on the noise, but also what does the data look like afterwards? Because I imagine that's quite interesting seeing these maps and where the clicks happen. Yeah, so personally, I haven't because the devices that I have are the underwater hydrophones. We put them on a mooring line and we moor them to like an oceanographic surface float and to like a concrete anchor on the seabed. So they kind of stay underwater for three, four months at a time and I leave them alone. The thing about these devices is they don't record the actual sound. They have inbuilt algorithms to detect the echolocation clicks. So they already have like knowledge within them to go, this is a porpoise click based on this list of information that you've given me. Talking about how the data is collected, could we move on to maybe what the data has shown and talk about the kind of extrapolations that have come from your publications? Like, What have you found in doing your research so far? In the research I've done so far, it was quite nice because in my master's, I looked at the occurrence. I was able to look at, you know, when were they there across various different years? I was able to use like the uh, archival data from in County Mayo that I mentioned before. And yeah, so I can look at when they're there over timescales in relation to various environmental variables that might affect what's going on and how they interact with the environment. So having released your first publication, was there something in particular that stuck out to you as particularly interesting in the findings? Yeah, well, what I found interesting is that a third of the time the porpoise were there, we found these buzz clicks as indicators of 
they were foraging. So they were foraging across the whole nine years, about a third of the time. So this varied between seasons and they, sh- they did show an increase in foraging in the autumn, which I found interesting because I was like, okay, if they're foraging more in the autumn, maybe to meet more energetic needs that they may have, because during that period, they'd be like lactating young or they're building up energy stores for the winter, accommodation, a lot of different factors there. It's important to consider like how they are using the area in different seasons, because when we looked at their occurrence in the area, their greatest occurrence is winter. Like their greatest occurrence and greatest foraging, portion of foraging, they're not, you know, directly aligned, you know, so they may be there more in the winter, but their greatest activity in the autumn just shows that, yeah, the different seasonal requirements are important, especially if you're trying to conserve an area. And this also kind of was interesting as well, because there was construction going on in the area. We found the construction decreasing the amount of porpoise that were there, but also it decreased their foraging. I was like, okay, well, so it's not only a knock-on effect of these subporpuses have some porpoises have to leave the area, but for those that stay, they're disturbed, so they can't feed as much. So that's going to have a knock-on effect for them. And I don't think porpoises in this area are probably particularly in danger of like you know diminishing the population or something. But you apply this in other areas, you could see, you know, looking at what the porpoises are doing, it could have a drastic effect. That, that makes perfect sense in terms of rather than just knowing where, having insight to why, yeah. because there can be lots of other knock-on effects if you think, oh, they're just coming here and it's fine, and you try and conserve certain things, but not other things, and it ends up having a cascade effect, uh, which definitely feeds into the next question. First of all, I'd like to know what kind of construction was going on there, and also, being that Ireland has such a, uh, a massive potential for offshore energy, could there be an issue both in terms of the construction of windmills or in the maintenance of windmills? on the harbour porpoise off the coast of Ireland. In my research, I did find that construction did have an effect on, you know, when the porpoise were there, but and also how much they were feeding. Certain types of construction do have a greater effect. So the construction going on in Broadhaven Bay was the construction of an underwater gas pipeline. Majority of construction took place in the the early years of the research study. So pile driving is particularly bad for species like porpoise because the high frequency it emits. Imagine you're you're trying to talk on the phone and someone is just interjecting at the same noise level. It's going to have a greater effect rather than if there was like a bee buzzing in the background. You're not going to be as annoyed at that because it's not really going to interfere as much as with your conversations. If this pile driving is coming in at the same frequencies, it's completely interjecting porpoises' conversations. Porpoises need to like, navigate their environment because there's just so much noise. They're getting noise back from the pile driving. They're getting noise back from the echoes. And as the development continues, that kind of effect does diminish for a species like porpoise because the maintenance noise, boat noise, while it's disruptive, it's a much lower frequency, so it's not interrupting those sound channels as much. It can still have an effect just in a, a different way, probably more in the displacement rather than the communication or navigation through the area. A lot of studies, which is good in some ways, don't show like long-term displacement. Like Species like porpoise and, and dolphins, if there's construction going on in an area, they tend to move to an adjacent area and then 
they tend to come back or still kind of visit. Like the problem would be if this was a particularly important area for their feeding or their breeding, if there's a wind farm development in the middle of that, them moving away is going to cost them significantly more energy. Throughout UCC as well, there's several projects going on to understand the distribution and density of animals. And because of the relation of all the wind farm developments going on, to get a a whole scan of what we have and how much and what areas are they congregating in. That makes perfect sense. And it reflects the usefulness of the insights that you've been describing in terms of the changes in behavior throughout the year. Because if, say, construction started at a certain time, and completely disrupted a breeding cycle, that could have the biggest effect, right? Yeah, and that's where kind of acoustics is handy as well, because you can do all this broad, you can do broad scale monitoring and surveys to see what's there, but also to see what acoustics and to monitor the noise effect of the construction going on, you know, you can make conclusions of what effect that's going to have. So I think the key just is, we need to monitor what's happening and like with anything that goes in the sea there are going to be marine mammal monitors anyway because that's the law so <laughs> you know that is what's going to happen so i don't think it's a factor of stopping these developments because we need it for like our own sustainable development and all yeah well that makes total sense we need to work smart on these projects even if they are a necessity so that there's mm. as much harm reduction as possible so what's next for your research on harbour purposes? Well, my key monitoring site at the moment is uh, Roaring Water Bay in West Cork, which is a special area of conservation for porpoise. So that's where I've deployed my own equipment for the past two years to try and get a better picture of their habitat usage in that area. Because it's a protected area of porpoise, there has been some surveys done with the National Parks and Wildlife, but they've all been done in like summer months and so the acoustics the benefit of it is as i said put out the device leave it for three four months come back service it collect data and keeping doing that over the past couple of years i can get a long-term picture of how are they using the area for their distribution i'll probably look again and see not just when they're there when they're feeding again like i did before there's not really any construction or something to be considerate of but as a special area conservation monitoring is important to know are we protecting the right area if there's a low occurrence of porpoise maybe somewhere else is better you know you have to do monitoring in these dedicated sites to make sure that we're on the right track and that's that's my goal so porpoises present with nomadic behavior moving around throughout the sea and ireland has these protected areas are these worthwhile in terms of protecting these animals there's different densities in different areas. You know, if there's areas of greater density, but then we don't know the exact spots where they're feeding because they might be feeding in a spot a lot just because that's where the fish are that day. It's very changeable. But if there is an area that specifically go to breed or to feed, like, and if we do find these things out, we can only really find them things out by monitoring. Because if you know there's that area there, you might be able to work with like developers and go, okay, we kind of don't want to disturb this area. The Irish Sea would be the highest density in Irish waters, which does have a lot of development and interesting. It's a huge port, but there's still the highest density of porpoise. So, yeah, I think the thing they're kind of doing in management conservation 
is trying to do like mobile marine protected areas. So finally, we like to end on a question about common misconceptions about your work and what you study. Is there one thing that is commonly misunderstood or not understood enough about the area that you work that you'd like to clarify? One thing I suppose I think about is a lot of what people think about marine biology is you're out in the field on a warm, sunny day looking off your boat. Field work in our work is about 10% of the time. And a lot of the time our work can be glamorized and just highlighting, I suppose, that there's a lot more data mining and digging into the data to find your research questions. And the sea is a complicated place to try and figure out, you know, those interactions and how animals are interacting with it. And porpoise aren't dolphins. I know I said that before, but just to reiterate that... (laughs) You know, <laughs> that's everyone of it's like, oh, I saw a dolphin. It's like, review your points to make sure it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> and they say all the time, like, it takes a village. Like, research really does take a village. You know, you need everyone around you to answer any question that goes on. Okay, Nicole, thank you so much for spending time with us and answering our questions. All of the answers were super, super interesting. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Good luck with the rest of your research. No, I really enjoyed talking about it. It was fun. And if anyone's interested in reading more about my latest paper, you can find it in Remammal Science. It's open access. It's extracting foraging behavior of harbor porpoise to learn more about foraging habitat use. Also, feel free to reach out if you have any questions. That's everything for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us or Pint of Science Ireland, follow at Pint of Science, i.e. all one word, on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was made with Annette Nugudi and Peter Cox on sound and editing, with additional research done by Annette Nugudi. Many thanks to the co-directors of Pint of Science Ireland for 2022, Anna Witterburn and Ashley Gorman, as well as Science Foundation Ireland. And a special thanks to Nicole Todd for taking time to speak with us today. She can be found on Twitter at Nicole or E Todd. That's Todd with two Ds. Pint of Science Ireland is part of a global initiative, Pint of Science. This aims to bring research to those who fund it, you the public. We'll see you next month. I've been Daniel Gifford.